Thank you, choir. So we're continuing the series today on burning questions. And if you haven't been here uh, yet over these last few weeks, maybe this is your first Sunday, uh, we, we're going through kind of a unique series. Uh, we've done this a couple of times through the years called Burning Questions. And really, those of you who are out there have a part in the sermon series uh, through the course of June and July. And the way you have a part of that is that you submit questions, burning questions. They're those questions that... Uh, you know, you wouldn't really raise your hand. You wouldn't want your question attached to you personally. It's, but it's a, still a question that just sort of burns in there in your heart, in your mind, and you've always kind of wondered. And, uh, and so the topic is Christianity. It's not really any other area. We've done relationships and marriage before. We've done, the, uh, I think, the church before. So the topic for this one is Christianity. You've turned in a lot of questions. We've gotten some of those from within the church. We've gotten some of those, I would assume, from outside the church that have come in uh, via email. And, uh, and so it's really been, really been good. We've looked at Scripture. Uh, I think one of the questions a couple of weeks ago that we dealt with was, why is the Bible full of contradictions? And the premise was that there are contradictions, and so we kind of disproved that and dealt with it, that when you read it in context and when you look at what's reasonable, a lot of different aspects of that. Uh, we saw that the Bible is something that we can trust in, bank on, live by, and even stake our eternity on it, uh, what it says as well. So, and then last Sunday, Adam talked about uh, salvation and the uh, eternal aspect of salvation as well with a question that came in. So today we're going to continue the series and man I have just loved it. We've gotten so many good questions and today is no different. And so let's just go ahead and jump into the deep end. And uh, this question would have been submitted uh, here within our church because it was written on a card. And unless any of you are handwriting experts, I don't think you'll be able to figure out who it is necessarily. So they actually asked the question one way and just, I guess, for the sake of clarity, asked it another way as well. So let's go ahead and take a look at what we're looking at this morning. Uh, this is the burning question submitted, uh, I think, a few weeks ago. If you, it may be a little hard to read, but the first part of it says, isn't church full of hypocrites? And then underneath that, aren't Christians just hypocrites? And so a great question, two really good questions dealing with the topic of hypocrisy asked by somebody who at the very least was in our lobby. Now, maybe it was a delivery man who came in on a Tuesday afternoon and said, you know what, I'm going to write a question. I heard about this. But more than likely, it's from someone who's here at least on any given Sunday. And so a great question and uh, one that, that I'm really interested and really excited to be able to deal with and that I enjoyed uh, prepping for and just kind of digging into as well. And by the way, a question that Scripture has a little bit to say about it as well. So here's where the question is, I, I think, behind the question, because th this, is, this is a very important question. And I think really what's kind of being asked, in a sense, is that if, if this is true, if the church is full of hypocrites, if Christians are just hypocrites, then I don't want any part of Christianity. I, I think that's why this question is so important, because that's probably the premise back behind it. You may have been asked this question by a classmate if you're in high school or college. You may have been asked this question by a coworker, by a neighbor, by someone you know that you've been sort of trying to build a relationship with or share your faith with, maybe someone who's antagonistic about God, or maybe just someone with just some honest, genuine questions. And the question is, why on earth are there so many hypocrites in the church today? And it may even be asked with anger. It's just you people, right? They may even put a finger in your face like you Christians are just a bunch of hypocrites, and sort of what they're getting at, the question behind the question is, why would I want to follow a faith that is filled with people like that? 
And it's a question we have to do business with, right? We have to do business with internally. You may be one who's here today. Somebody invited you or you just decided, hey, I'm going to check out this whole Christianity thing and just sort of see what it's all about. And I, I'm going to, uh, you know, you may be here at this church for one of the first few times uh, or maybe in a long time, and, and you're thinking to yourself, thank you so much that somebody asked this question, Right? Because I can't wait to hear what the Bible has to say or what that guy up there has to say about this topic of hypocrisy. The good thing, again, is that the Bible has a lot to say about it. So uh, hypocrisy in the church, hypocrisy amongst Christians. So what is Christianity? Let's remind ourselves again. Remember, these are burning questions, and the topic is not Buddhism. It's not burning questions about Islam. It's not burning questions about Hinduism. It's burning questions about Christianity. So what is Christianity? Just a little refresher, a reminder. Christianity is a belief system, a significantly large belief system that is represented around the globe. It is a monotheistic belief system, meaning that simply it is centered around the worship of one God. It's not like Hinduism where there are many different gods. It is a belief system centered around the, uh, around the worship of one God. And at the very center of the Christian worldview, of the Christian belief system, is a person who really lived in history and who still lives today, and his name is Jesus Christ. He is the very center of, obviously, Christianity. It bears his name. He's the very center of that belief system. And the Christian faith itself rises and falls on one event in history. And if you take that event away, even the Bible itself, the only work of authority within the Christian faith, will admit that if you take this one key event away, the whole faith, the whole belief system just shatters and falls apart. And that one event is that Jesus, who walked this earth as God and as man, not only died on the cross, but he rose again. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, hey, if there's no resurrection and if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, our faith is in vain. He says, my preaching is in vain. And even one of the, one of the, the most prominent New Testament writers, Paul, would admit and would say, if you take away the resurrection, you have no Christian worldview. You have no Christian belief system. You have no Christianity at all. And so when we look at the Christian faith, it is this belief system that we only get to God through a relationship with Jesus. And the reason Jesus is the central figure is not just because he's God, but because he died and he rose to make those who are far from God to be in a relationship with him through repentance and faith. That's Christianity in a nutshell, that is the Christian faith. So, so here's, a, here, here's a, a, a simple premise we need to establish. I'll give you about three different uh, uh, principles today that I hope you'll jot down. And they're all on the overhead. The first one is this, that those who trust Jesus, those who follow Jesus, are called both Christians and the church. Two different terms that are used to describe followers of Christ, Christians and the church. Now, I understand that the word Christian is a loaded term today, right? Christian means one thing when you're talking about a voting block politically. Christian may mean another thing when you're talking culturally, right, about a nationality. You know, it sort of describes a culture. They're a Christian culture. It doesn't mean necessarily what Scripture speaks of as Christian. Jesus never referred to his followers with the word Christian, but Scripture does. 
in the book of Acts. It says that the believers, the followers of Jesus were first called Christians in Antioch. And it was a, kind of a, a term of spite in a way, you know, just kind of like, look at you little Jesuses, little Christs, right? It wasn't used in a positive light, but, but at the very least, when they were called Christians, it meant that this was a group of people that were called out, they were different, and they were distinct, but throughout Scripture, especially the New Testament, what we find is that the followers of Jesus are more often called the church. When you put them all together, they're called saints as well, but collectively, followers of Christ were called the church. Paul would write numerous places, but one, for example, uh, to the church in Corinth, he, he would say to the church of God, which is in Corinth. Jesus would say that uh, on this rock, I will build my church. And so we go back to the burning question again. Let's go bring it up again. Understanding what Christianity is, understanding what we're referred to. So the question isn't church, that collection of believers full of hypocrites and aren't Christians, those who claim to be followers of Jesus, those who trusted Jesus, aren't they just hypocrites? That's the burning question of the day. And to answer that, we have to talk about salvation, we have to talk about sanctification, we'll get to all that, and we have to look at what Jesus said about hypocrisy. So, so what is the word hypocrite to begin with? Here's the definition. This is the Webster's definition. Who are we to argue with Webster, right? Yeah, he wrote a big book. So uh, Webster's de- dictionary definition of Hypocrite, this is it. You already know this, but just to clarify. A hypocrite is a person who acts in contradiction to his or her stated beliefs or feelings. A hypocrite is a person who acts in contradiction, not in agreement with, but in contradiction to whatever they have already said are their beliefs or their feelings. Now, the Greek language, the New Testament was written in Greek, and so the word hypocrite that we translate hypocrite came from a Greek word, hypocrates, or or hypocrates, excuse me. Uh, And when it was translated, it referred to this picture in the Greek language of a stage player, of an actor. And of course, in first century Greek, right, in Greek culture, theater was a big part of their culture. And so they didn't have the technology, they didn't have all of the uh, cinematography that we have today. And so you would have an actor on a stage, and to play one character, he would put on a mask representing that one character. And when he played another character, he would put down that mask, he would take on another mask in front of his face, and that stage actor, that that stage player, that actor, would then represent a new character. It was a different mask representing a different person that he that he, was, uh, that, that he was playing on stage. And the, the Greek word uh, was hypocrites. And so what that meant was one who played the actor, one who played or who wore the mask. And it meant someone who was one way at one place and yet another way at another. And that they lived in contradiction. So they drugged that Greek word into the English language and it means a hypocrite is one who says I believe this or says I feel this, but really in reality they live completely differently than what they've said. That is a hypocrite. And we all have witnessed it, right? We've all seen it. For example, don't raise your hand on this and don't elbow the person next to you, but have you ever railed against someone in traffic? Maybe you're on Johnny Mercer, maybe you're on, out, out on Highway 80 or out on President Street or on Truman, and somewhere around town, and you're stuck in traffic, and you just rail on the person ahead of you. Would you put your phone down and just drive, right? Maybe you even have that bumper sticker. 
I've seen that bumper sticker before. And, uh, you know, just drive. Hang up and drive. And, and you've done that. And then 15 minutes later, you know, you're stuck in traffic. You're late for your meeting. And you're, like, driving and texting your boss saying, hey, I'm going to be a little bit late, right? Well, you're a hypocrite. <laughs> and we've all been there. Or it's the person to say, you know what? I believe racism is just atrocious. And yet three days later at work, you have no issue laughing at a racist joke or even telling one yourself or using a derogatory term to describe someone who looks differently than you. That is hypocrisy. It's to teach your kids that stealing is wrong and then when it's tax time on April 14th, holding back some important info that the government by law has already requested. That's hypocrisy. It's to say I believe one thing and then to put that mask down and to take up a new mask that lives differently than what you've said. The question behind the question, if this is what Christianity is all about, why should I want any part of it? Hypocrisy amongst followers of Jesus is a big issue. In fact, I would say perhaps it's one of the biggest reasons that more don't choose to follow him. It's because of what they see in those who claim to be followers of him. So what does the Bible say about hypocrisy? Principle number two, you can jot this one down. Let's just take a look at Jesus himself. And the principle is this, that Jesus was intolerant of hypocrisy. Jesus was intolerant of hypocrisy. In fact, let me even just tweak that just a bit. Jesus was intensely intolerant of hypocrisy. In the scriptures, Matthew chapter 23, we read of a, not as much a dialogue as it is a monologue. And Jesus is dealing with a group of people that were very specific group of people that were his enemies, right? But they were also the religious leaders of the day. They were called the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees had a lot of religion, they were uh, leaders, probably the most recognized group of leaders within, the, uh, within Judaism in the first century. And, uh, and these religious leaders, these Pharisees, though they were rooted in religiosity and though they were connected to the Old Testament law, they hated Jesus. In fact, they were largely responsible for ultimately crucifying him. Even though they were staunchly religious, they were very anti-Jesus, which, which is a problem. And so Jesus here in Matthew chapter 23 is, is beginning to make commentary. And no doubt when he says what he says, if you look in Matthew 23, if you've got a red letter edition of the Bible where the letters that Jesus spoke are in red, everything starting with the second word in verse 2 after that is in red. There's not any dialogue here. Jesus is sharing, he is communicating a truth, and no doubt in the crowd that particular day, there would have been Pharisees that were seated. They were listening to what Jesus had to say. And so let's just go ahead and jump in. What we're looking at here is how Jesus, the centerpiece of the Christian faith, the centerpiece of Christianity, how he was intensely intolerant of hypocrisy. Let's look at what it says here. Matthew captures it for us. Uh, in detail, beginning in chapter 23, 
verse 1. So it says, then Jesus spoke to the crowds, and we would understand uh, more than likely Pharisees would have been there, and to his disciples saying, the scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Now let me just pause here for a moment. They have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. In other words, they are connected to the Old Testament scriptures, which was a good thing. Moses would have been the authority figure in the Old Testament. He was the writer, or I should say the transcriber. God gave the law. Moses is the one who passed it on. He, he was a, kind of the key figure in the Old Testament, one of them. And so Jesus says the scribes and the Pharisees, these religious leaders, have uh, seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe. In other words, they're teaching you scripture to a degree, and you need to do that. But then he goes on a little further. But they do not do, but do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. (laughs) Well, you're probably feeling really comfortable if you're sitting on the front row as a Pharisee at this particular moment, because you're thinking at the beginning of that statement, hey, awesome, Jesus is telling people to do just like we say. And then just as you're about to break your arm, patting yourself on the back, he says, oh, but don't do what they do, because they tell you one thing, and then they do another. And then he goes a little further. They tie up heavy burdens, and they lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. Thank you, Jesus, for toning it down with the esteemed Pharisees in the crowd today, right? <laughs> for the sake of, uh, of clarity, let's just move forward a little bit, move ahead a little bit. Verse 13, uh, it gets better. He gains a little bit of momentum. Now he's not talking about the Pharisees to the crowd. He's talking to the Pharisees in the crowd. And Jesus says, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. They would have understood in a Greek culture, though they lived there in uh, the region around Jerusalem, they would have understand in a Greek context, right, the Greek language of the day, they would have known what he meant when he said hypocrite. You wear a mask, you play the actor, you're one way at one time and another way at another. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. <laughs> In other words, there are those around you who have a genuine desire to know God, and you're just shutting off the kingdom of God to them. For, for you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. You are leading people astray. You're talking about God. You're talking about the Old Testament scriptures. You're talking all the religious language. But not only do you not know God, Jesus could say, because you've rejected me, the only way to God, but you're also keeping other people from trusting in me as well. Verse 14, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense you make long prayers, therefore you will receive greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, Because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte, one convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. (laughs) And at that point in the crowd, every eye was as big as a saucer. Jesus wasn't finished. Let's move ahead a little further to verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery 
and self-indulgence. Understand here, he's speaking metaphorically, that he's not talking about dirty dishes, he's talking about hearts. And in the same way, it would be ludicrous to consider having a guest over and taking a coffee cup out of the, out of the, uh, you know, off the shelf that, that hasn't been cleaned yet, except on the outside and on the inside, there's still coffee residue and giving that to your guests. In the same way, you would take a dish out of the sink from last night's dinner that still has rice and gravy and pork chop or whatever else right, that you had the night before on the top, and you just wipe the bottom of that plate and then put more food on it to give to your guests. That's such a ludicrous thought. Jesus says that's not the way way you do it. He says in that same way, you Pharisees and scribes, hypocrites, have only cleaned the outside of your heart and you do all these good deeds and you pray all these long prayers, but on the inside, your heart could not be dirtier nor farther from God. (laughs) Next verse, verse 26, you blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup, get your heart right and of the dish so that the outside of it may become clean Also, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Christian church follower of Jesus, the Savior that you have committed to follow and the Savior that you trusted that night in VBS or that night in the ditch or that time when God finally got a hold of your heart and you prayed and you laid down your sin the best you could and you invited Jesus to come in and forgive you and take over your life and you said, I will follow him. He is my Lord and I commit myself to him and I trust in what he did on the cross for me. And that night when you became a Christian, You committed yourself to a Savior who cannot stand hypocrisy. (laughs) I mean, he is intensely intolerant of hypocrisy. And, And when someone says, hopefully with an honest heart, when they say, I don't want any part of a Jesus where his followers are just a bunch of hypocrites, what a great place to point out and say, you know what? Jesus had an issue with hypocrisy just like you do. Couldn't stand it. He went eyeball to eyeball, knee to knee, toe to toe with the religious leaders of the day who ultimately crucified him because that's how intensely he was in opposition to this thing called hypocrisy. And and by the way, let me just say, if, if someone tries to disprove Christianity because of the presence of hypocrisy in the lives of Christians, it doesn't disprove Christianity at all. It doesn't say anything about our Savior. In the eyes of some, it does, which is why it's so dangerous. But in reality, it doesn't say anything about the Savior. It has everything to say about some of his followers. (laughs) I mean, if I'm a hypocrite, it doesn't do anything to change the fact that in real time, a real God named Jesus walked this earth, lived sinlessly, a perfect life, died on a real genuine wooden cross for the sake of the sins of the whole entire world, and that three days later he rose again, leaving a tomb ultimately unoccupied, and that he lives forever today, and that he has stated and backed up the fact through his resurrection that he's the only way to a relationship with God. My hypocrisy doesn't change any of that fact. So hypocrisy doesn't disprove Christianity in the least. What it does is, one, it, 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 it hurts the heart of God, and two, it creates a barrier between those who need him, ultimately desiring him. 
Maybe that's why Jesus was so intensely intolerant of it. So the, so the question, is the church full of hypocrites? Are Christians hypocrites? Those were amazingly good burning questions. Is the church full of hypocrites and aren't Christians hypocrites? Sadly, resoundingly, the answer to both is yes. If someone who hates God were to say to me, Christians are just a bunch of hypocrites, I would have to agree. While understanding that hypocrisy is not a Christian issue, it is a human issue. It's just that when you stake your name attached to one who lives sinlessly as the Savior of the world, you now took a bullseye. <laughs> no one accuses the atheist of hypocrisy. He has no standard of truth. But when you and I, Christian, stand on truth and follow a Savior who is sinless, we just took a bullseye. And sometimes the Sometimes the dart of hypocrisy loves to get tossed at that target. So the church does have hypocrites. Let's be honest, you and I would have to raise our hand as hypocrites. So what's that mean? How does that unpack? It's maybe the most important part of the message, and I hope you'll listen closely, and I'm just about done. Principle number three, we should expect to struggle with hypocrisy without celebrating it. We should expect a struggle with hypocrisy without celebrating it. Remember, I made the comment that to answer this question about hypocrisy, uh, well, we really have to look at salvation and sanctification. Salvation meaning coming to a relationship with God through faith and trust in Jesus. When you pl place your faith in Jesus, no matter how long ago that was, there was a transaction that took place. Remember 2 Corinthians 5.21, he, God the Father, made him, Jesus, God the Son, who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that we might be the righteousness of God. There's a point where when you gave your life to Jesus, God gave you Jesus' righteousness, that you became righteous. You, at a point in time, Christian, follower of Christ, you were made righteous in your position before God. That's why you get to go into heaven. That's why I get to go into heaven. With a list of sins, God's going to say, forgiven, because you trusted Jesus, his righteousness was credited to your account. That is really, really good news. But at the same time, there's a balance, because not only when you trusted Jesus did you become righteous, but follow me here, there, you are also, day by day, becoming righteous in your practice. You were made righteous in your position before God when you trusted Christ. You are then walking out that salvation and becoming, in your practice, more and more righteous, hopefully consistently, to where the trajectory is more and more godliness being displayed in your life. Well, let me just show you this in a few passages of Scripture. First passage is in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11, uh, reminding us that you became righteous when you trusted Jesus. Paul says, such were some of you, you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. You were once unrighteous, trusted Christ, and you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified, you were made righteous. But look at what Paul also says when he talks about how we are becoming righteous ultimately. Look at what, or rather, look at what Peter says in 1 Peter 
chapter 1, he says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. Don't be like you used to be back before you knew Jesus, he says. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. You became righteous, but you're also becoming righteous in the way you live that out day by day. Paul says in Galatians 5, verse 25, he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And there is a place where the Holy Spirit is at work in you, Christian, and he's molding and shaping and conforming you, knocking off those things in your life that don't look like Christ, knocking off attitudes, knocking off behaviors. And as you partner with the Holy Spirit, you are becoming in your practice more and more and more increasingly righteous. And all along that continuum, right, there will be points where you and where I fall short. And we'll miss the mark because we haven't arrived yet. Oh, we're getting to heaven because we've become righteous in our standing. But we're not always going to look like heaven because he's still making us righteous progressively in our actions day after day after day. And where the actions don't always line up with the position, sometimes where you'll have that target most noticeable in your life. And someone will say, you know what? You're a hypocrite. We will always struggle against hypocrisy. Hear me closely. We can never be comfortable in it. We should never embrace it. We should never excuse it. And we certainly should never celebrate it. But we have to understand that when the church is full of hypocrites, don't pick up a stone too quickly. Because starting with the guy who speaks up here on Sundays, all the way to the back row, and every part of this property, let's all just take a number. But God's not finished with us yet. Two things to recognize and remember that we have to keep in mind when we talk about hypocrisy. One is that your Christian walk is somebody else's evidence. And we have got to keep this in mind. Whether you're a student off at college somewhere, and when you come home for the weekend, you know, you kind of put on your church mask, but then when you're off back to campus again, starting Thursday night through Sunday night, you kind of put on your other mask. Or if you're that businessman who comes to church on Sunday and you put on that mask, but then when you're making sales and doing business, ethics don't really apply, truth doesn't really apply, you've got a different mask to draw out of the briefcase for that. We have to understand that if you are a follower of Jesus and the term Christian or church or saint is applied to your life by God himself, that someone, I promise you, is watching. And they're evaluating the God that you serve based on the evidence of your life and your Christian walk will always be somebody else's evidence. And their beliefs or the belief system of Christianity is being weighed against what they see in you. It's not fair and it's not even accurate, but it's just the way life rolls. Second thing we have to recognize is not just our Christian walk being someone else's evidence, but your Christian walk is also somebody else's permission. Somebody else's permission. Let's say, for example, I post on social media tomorrow, struggle with the sermon yesterday, 
still living out, st- still, still uh, living off a hard weekend out on the town. I mean, after all, it was in New Orleans, right? <laughs> Somebody's going to see that, and they're going to treat that as evidence. See, I told you Jesus doesn't change lives. That guy claims to be a follower, and he's out doing all the same junk that's ruining my life. Why would I want any part of God if he can't even change your life? Or they may also say, hey, wow, he's a follower of Jesus. Notice I didn't say anything about being a pastor. He's a follower of Jesus, and if that's the way he lives his life on weekends and then puts on the church mask on a Sunday, hey, I guess it's okay for me to do that as well. And who knows how much untold heartache, heartbreak, can come out of that, and my life was the evidence of it. Christian, you've got people watching the way you work, the way you parent, the way you handle yourself when no one's looking, at least when you think. They're watching every aspect of your life, and your life as a follower of Jesus is either someone else's permission or their evidence or both. Look at what Paul says, and I close with this passage. He understood this. Look at what he says to the believers in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again, Paul says to them, or do we need as some letters of commendation to you or from you? Paul says, I mean, is our ministry not, not valid unless we get a letter that says we're valid? No. Look at what Paul says. He says to the Corinthians, he says, you are our letter. Let people look at your life, and they will see the evidence of the work of God. He says, you are our letter, written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. You, Christian, are a work in progress. There will be times when you are a hypocrite, and me as well. We can't embrace it. We can't enjoy it. We can't celebrate it. We cannot excuse it. It should break our hearts when it happens. But when it does, we confess to God, God, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you don't give up on me. Thank you that I'm still a work in progress. Thank you that my salvation doesn't depend on my behavior, that I am already rooted in Jesus and I'm saved for all time because of my relationship with Christ, that my position is one of a saint in your eyes. Lord, give me the strength to pick it up, to trust in you and to follow you and to live out that amazing truth. In a way that when people see me, I become a letter, not permission, not evidence against you, but a letter that wants them, that leads them to want more of you through what they see in me. And man, I'd be willing to say all over this place this morning, there is hypocrisy. It's not a really good way to attract visitors and guests to say, hey, I want to come to that church. They call you hypocrite. That's <laughs> just the truth starting here. But you know when God really becomes evident, you know when God really begins to sweep through is when we own that and when we reject it and shun it and say, God, I confess to you, i got a long way to go, but would you just meet me here and would you change my heart? Would you use me to put you on display? And if you've never trusted Jesus, he's not waiting for you to get better or good enough or cleaned up. Man, he'll take you just as you are right where you are. If you just say, Lord Jesus, I need you, and I turn from my sin, and I trust you to come and save me, take over, and he'll do it, I promise. Let's pray.
Lord, what a tightrope it is. We're saved by grace. We walk in grace. We're not saved by our works, but Lord, our works are so important. And honestly, there are times, Lord, when we put on one mask that looks like you and then replace it with one that doesn't. And Lord, there are people that are armed with the ammunition of the church is full of hypocrites and Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. And Lord, the only thing we can do is just agree, honestly. We can, all we can do is agree because we're just not like you yet. Lord, it doesn't disprove the Christian faith. Christianity is as true as it's ever been. And, and Lord, it's not fair that people base their judgment of you based on what they see in us. That is sobering. That is frightening. So God, help us, to, help us to feel the weight of that. The way we live makes a difference. That our kids are watching, grandkids, friends, co-workers, strangers who know we identify with you. And they're watching us. And the way we live is either permission for them to live in a way that's distant from you or sadly sometimes it's evidence that they say, see, Jesus doesn't change anything. God, thank you today for your grace. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the empty grave. But God, may we live in a way that puts you on display in every area. Because for many, their eternity still hangs in the balance. And they desperately need a Savior. And they may not see you till they see you in us. So help us to make the right decisions today. God, to own our hypocrisy. To shun it, not embrace it. To decry it, not to celebrate it. And God, we thank you for what you'll do. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Starting in your people. For it's in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Thank you, choir. So we're continuing the series today on burning questions. And if you haven't been here uh, yet over these last few weeks, maybe this is your first Sunday, uh, we, we're going through kind of a unique series uh, we've done this a couple of times through the years called Burning Questions. And really, those of you who are out there have a part in the sermon series uh, through the course of June and July. And the way you have a part of that is that you submit questions, burning questions. They're those questions that, uh, you know, you wouldn't really raise your hand. And you wouldn't want your question attached to you personally. It's, but it's a, still a question that just sort of burns in there in your heart and your mind. And you've always kind of wondered. And, uh, and so the topic is Christianity. It's not really any other area. We've done relationships and marriage before. We've done, the, uh, I think, the church before. So the topic for this one is Christianity. You've turned in a lot of questions. We've gotten some of those from within the church. We've gotten some of those, uh, I would assume, from outside the church that have come in uh, via email. And, uh, and so it's really been, really been good. We've looked at Scripture. Uh, I think one of the questions a couple of weeks ago that we dealt with was, why is the Bible full of contradictions? And the premise was that there are contradictions, and so we kind of disproved that and dealt with it, that when you read it in context and when you look at what's reasonable, a lot of different aspects of that. Uh, we saw that the Bible is something that we can trust in, bank on, live by, and even stake our eternity on it, uh, what it says as well. So, and then last Sunday, Adam talked about 
uh, salvation and the uh, eternal aspect of salvation as well with a question that came in. So today we're going to continue the series and man I have just loved it. We've gotten so many good questions and today is no different. And so let's just go ahead and jump into the deep end. And uh, this question would have been submitted uh, here within our church because it was written on a card. And unless any of you are handwriting experts, I don't think you'll be able to figure out who it is necessarily. So they actually asked the question one way and just, I guess, for the sake of clarity, asked it another way as well. So let's go ahead and take a look at what we're looking at this morning. Uh, this is the burning question submitted, uh, I think, a few weeks ago. If you, it may be a little hard to read, but the first part of it says, isn't church full of hypocrites? And then underneath that, aren't Christians just hypocrites? And so a great question, two really good questions dealing with the topic of hypocrisy asked by somebody who at the very least was in our lobby. Now, maybe it was a delivery man who came in on a Tuesday afternoon and said, you know what, I'm going to write a question. I heard about this. But more than likely, it's from someone who's here at least on any given Sunday. And so a great question and uh, one that, that I'm really interested and really excited to be able to deal with and that I enjoyed uh, prepping for and just kind of digging into as well. And by the way, a question that Scripture has a little bit to say about it as well. So here's where the question is, I, I think, behind the question, because th this, is, this is a very important question. And I think really what's kind of being asked, in a sense, is that if, if this is true, if the church is full of hypocrites, if Christians are just hypocrites, then I don't want any part of Christianity. I, I think that's why this question is so important, because that's probably the premise back behind it. You may have been asked this question by a classmate if you're in high school or college. You may have been asked this question by a coworker, by a neighbor, by someone you know that you've been sort of trying to build a relationship with or share your faith with, maybe someone who's antagonistic about God, or maybe just someone with just honest, genuine questions. And the question is, why on earth are there so many hypocrites in the church today? And it may even be asked with anger. It's just you people, right? They may even put a finger in your face, like you Christians are just a bunch of hypocrites. And sort of what they're getting at, the question behind the question is, why would I want to follow a faith that is filled with people like that? And it's a question we have to do business with, right? We have to do business with internally. You may be one who's here today. Somebody invited you or you just decided, hey, I'm going to check out this whole Christianity thing and just sort of see what it's all about. And I, I'm going to, uh, you know, you may be here at this church for one of the first few times uh, or maybe in a long time, and, and you're thinking to yourself, thank you so much that somebody asked this question, right? Because I can't wait to hear what the Bible has to say or what that guy up there has to say about this topic of hypocrisy. You know, the good thing, again, is that the Bible has a lot to say about it. So hip, uh, hypocrisy in the church, hypocrisy amongst Christians. So what is Christianity? Let's remind ourselves again. Remember, these are burning questions, and the topic is not Buddhism. It's not burning questions about Islam. It's not burning questions about Hinduism. It's burning questions about Christianity. So what is Christianity? Just a little refresher, a reminder. Christianity is a belief system, a significantly large belief system that is represented around the globe. It is a monotheistic belief system, meaning that simply it is centered around the worship of one God. It's not like Hinduism where there are many different gods. It is a belief system centered around the, uh, around the worship of one God. And at the very center of the Christian worldview, of the Christian belief system, is a person who really lived in history and who still lives today, and his name is Jesus Christ. He is the very center of, obviously, Christianity. It bears his name. He's the very center of that belief system. 
And the Christian faith itself rises and falls on one event in history. And if you take that event away, even the Bible itself, the only work of authority within the Christian faith, will admit that if you take this one key event away, the whole faith, the whole belief system just shatters and falls apart. And that one event is that Jesus, who walked this earth as God and as man, not only died on the cross, but he rose again. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, hey, if there's no resurrection, and if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, our faith is in vain. He says, my preaching is in vain. And even one of, the, one of the, the most prominent New Testament writers, Paul, would admit and would say, if you take away the resurrection, you have no Christian worldview. You have no Christian belief system. You have no Christianity at all. And so when we look at the Christian faith, it is this belief system that we only get to God through a relationship with Jesus. And the reason Jesus is the central figure is not just because he's God, but because he died and he rose to make those who are far from God to be in a relationship with him through repentance and faith. That's Christianity in a nutshell. That is the Christian faith. So, so here's, a, here, here's a, a, a simple premise we need to establish. I'll give you about three different uh, uh, principles today that I hope you'll jot down, and they're all on the overhead. The first one is this, that those who trust Jesus, those who follow Jesus, are called both Christians and the church. Two different terms that are used to describe followers of Christ, Christians and the church. Now, I understand that the word Christian is a loaded term today, right? Christian means one thing when you're talking about a voting block politically. Christian may mean another thing when you're talking culturally, right, about a nationality. You know, it sort of describes a culture. They're a Christian culture. It doesn't mean necessarily what Scripture speaks of as Christian. Jesus never referred to his followers with the word Christian, but Scripture does. In the book of Acts, it says that the believers, the followers of Jesus, were first called Christians in Antioch. And it was a, kind of a, a term of spite in a way. You know, just kind of like, look at you, little Jesuses, little Christs. Right? It wasn't used in a positive light. But, but at the very least, when they were called Christians, it meant that this was a group of people that were called out, they were different, and they were distinct. But throughout Scripture, especially the New Testament, what we find is that followers of Jesus are more often called the church. When you put them all together, they're called saints as well, but collectively, followers of Christ were called the church. Paul would write numerous places, but one, for example, uh, to the church in Corinth, he, he would say to the church of God, which is in Corinth. Jesus would say that uh, on this rock, I will build my church. And so we go back to the burning question again. Let's go bring it up again. Understanding what Christianity is, understanding what we're referred to. So the question isn't church, that collection of believers full of hypocrites, and aren't Christians, those who claim to be followers of Jesus, those who've trusted Jesus, aren't they just hypocrites? That's the burning question of the day. And to answer that, we have to talk about salvation, we have to talk about sanctification, we'll get to all that, and we have to look at what Jesus said about hypocrisy. So, so what is the word hypocrite 
to begin with. Here's the definition. This is the Webster's definition. Who are we to argue with Webster, right? Yeah, he wrote a big book. So uh, Webster's de- dictionary definition of hypocrite. This is it. You already know that, but this, but just to clarify. A hypocrite is a person who acts in contradiction to his or her stated beliefs or feelings. A hypocrite is a person who acts in contradiction, not in agreement with, but in contradiction to whatever they have already said are their beliefs or their feelings. Now, in the Greek language, the New Testament was written in Greek, and so the word hypocrite that we translate hypocrite came from a Greek word, hypocrates, or, or hypocrates, excuse me. Uh-uh. And, and when it was translated, it referred to this picture in the Greek language of a stage player, of an actor. And of course, in first century Greek, right, in Greek culture, theater was a big part of their culture. And so they didn't have the technology, they didn't have all of the uh, cinematography that we have today. And so you would have an actor on a stage, and to play one character, he would put on a mask representing that one character. And when he played another character, he would put down that mask, he would take on another mask in front of his face, and that stage actor, that that stage player, that actor, would then represent a new character. It was a different mask representing a different person that he... That he was uh, that that he was playing on stage, and the the Greek word uh, was hypocrites, and so what that meant was one who played the actor, one who played or who wore the mask, and it meant someone who was one way at one place and yet another way at another. And that they lived in contradiction, so they drug that Greek word into the English language, and it means a hypocrite is one who says, I believe this, or says, I feel this, but really, in reality, they live completely differently than what they've said. That is a hypocrite. And we all have witnessed it, right? We've all seen it. For example, don't raise your hand on this, and don't elbow the person next to you, but have you ever railed against someone in traffic? Maybe you're on Johnny Mercer, maybe you're on, out, out on Highway 80, or out on President Street, or on Truman, and, and somewhere around town, and you're stuck in traffic, and you just rail on the person ahead of you. Would you put your phone down and just drive, right? Maybe you even have that bumper sticker. I've seen that bumper sticker before. And, uh, you know, just drive. Hang up and drive. And, and you've done that. And then 15 minutes later, you know, you're stuck in traffic. You're late for your meeting. And you're, like, driving and texting your boss saying, hey, I'm going to be a little bit late, right? Well, you're a hypocrite. <laughs> and we've all been there. Or it's the person to say, you know what? I believe racism is just atrocious. And yet three days later at work, you have no issue laughing at, a racist joke or even telling one yourself or using a derogatory term to describe someone who looks differently than you. That is hypocrisy. It's to teach your kids that stealing is wrong and then when it's tax time on April 14th, holding back some important info that the government by law has already requested. That's hypocrisy. It's to say I believe one thing And then to put that mask down and to take up a new mask that lives differently than what you've said. The question behind the question, if this is what Christianity is all about, why should I want any part of it? Hypocrisy amongst followers of Jesus is a big issue In fact, I would say perhaps it's one of the biggest reasons that more don't choose to follow him. It's because of what they see in those who claim to be followers of him. 
So what does the Bible say about hypocrisy? Principle number two, you can jot this one down. Let's just take a look at Jesus himself. And the principle is this, that Jesus was intolerant of hypocrisy. Jesus was intolerant of hypocrisy. In fact, let me even just tweak that just a bit. Jesus was intensely intolerant of hypocrisy. In the scriptures, Matthew chapter 23, we read of a, not as much a dialogue as it is a monologue. And Jesus is dealing with a group of people that were very specific group of people that were his enemies, right? But they were also the religious leaders of the day. They were called the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees had a lot of religion. They were uh, leaders, probably the most recognized group of leaders within, the, uh, within Judaism in the first century. And, uh, and these religious leaders, these Pharisees, though they were rooted in religiosity and though they were connected to the Old Testament law, they hated Jesus. In fact, they were largely responsible for ultimately crucifying him. Even though they were staunchly religious, they were very anti-Jesus, which is a, which is a problem. And so Jesus here in Matthew chapter 23 is, is beginning to make commentary. And no doubt when he says what he says, if you look in Matthew 23, if you've got a red letter edition of the Bible where the letters that Jesus spoke are in red, everything starting with the second word in verse 2 after that is in red. There's not any dialogue here. Jesus is sharing, he is communicating a truth, and no doubt in the crowd that particular day, there would have been Pharisees that were seated. They were listening to what Jesus had to say. And so let's just go ahead and jump in. What we're looking at here is how Jesus, the centerpiece of the Christian faith, the centerpiece of Christianity, how he was intensely intolerant of hypocrisy. Let's look at what it says here. Matthew captures it for us. Uh, in detail, beginning in chapter 23, verse 1. So it says, then Jesus spoke to the crowds, and we would understand uh, more than likely Pharisees would have been there, and to his disciples saying, the scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Now let me just pause here for a moment. They have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. In other words, they are connected to the Old Testament scriptures, which was a good thing. Moses would have been the authority figure in the Old Testament. He was the writer, or I should say the transcriber. God gave the law. Moses is the one who passed it on. He, he was a, kind of the key figure in the Old Testament, one of them. And so Jesus says the scribes and the Pharisees, these religious leaders, have uh, seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe. In other words, they're teaching you scripture to a degree, and you need to do that. But then he goes on a little further, but they do not do, but do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. <laughs> well, you're probably feeling really comfortable if you're sitting on the front row as a Pharisee at this particular moment, because you're thinking at the beginning of that statement, hey, awesome, Jesus is telling people to do just like we say. And then just as you're about to break your arm, patting yourself on the back, he says, oh, but don't do what they do because they tell you one thing and then they do another. And then he goes a little further. They tie up heavy burdens and they lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. Thank you, Jesus, for toning it down with the esteemed Pharisees in the crowd today, right? <laughs> For the sake of, uh, of clarity, let's just move forward a little bit, move ahead a little bit. Verse 13, uh, it gets better. He gains a little bit of momentum. 
Now he's not talking about the Pharisees to the crowd. He's talking to the Pharisees in the crowd. And Jesus says, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. They would have understood in a Greek culture. Though they lived there in uh, the region around Jerusalem, they would have understand in a Greek context, right? The Greek language of the day. They would have known what he meant when he said hypocrite. You wear a mask, you play the actor, you're one way at one time and another way at another. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. (laughs) In other words, there are those around you who have a genuine desire to know God, and you're just shutting off the kingdom of God to them. For, For you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. You're leading people astray. You're talking about God. You're talking about the Old Testament scriptures. You're talking all the religious language. But not only do you not know God, Jesus could say, because you've rejected me, the only way to God, but you're also keeping other people from trusting in me as well. Verse 14, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense you make long prayers, therefore you will receive greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte, one convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. <laughs> and at that point in the crowd, every eye was as big as a saucer. Jesus wasn't finished. Let's move ahead a little further to verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. Understand here, he's speaking metaphorically, that he's not talking about dirty dishes, he's talking about hearts. And in the same way, it would be ludicrous to consider having a guest over and taking a coffee cup out of the, out of the, uh, you know, off the shelf that, that hasn't been cleaned yet, except on the outside. And on the inside, there's still coffee residue and giving that to your guests. In the same way, you would take a dish out of the sink from last night's dinner that still has rice and gravy and pork chop or whatever else you know, right, that you had the night before on the top, and you just wipe the bottom of that plate and then put more food on it to give to your guests. That's such a ludicrous thought. Jesus says that's not the way you do it, he says in that same way, you Pharisees and scribes, hypocrites, have only cleaned the outside of your heart and you do all these good deeds and you pray all these long prayers, but on the inside, your heart could not be dirtier nor farther from God. (laughs) Next verse, verse 26, you blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup, get your heart right and of the dish so that the outside of it may become clean Also, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. 
Christian church follower of Jesus, the Savior that you have committed to follow and the Savior that you trusted that night in VBS or that night in the ditch or that time when God finally got a hold of your heart and you prayed and you laid down your sin the best you could and you invited Jesus to come in and forgive you and take over your life and you said, I will follow him. He is my Lord and I commit myself to him and I trust in what he did on the cross for me. And that night when you became a Christian, you committed yourself to a Savior who cannot stand hypocrisy. <laughs> I mean, he is intensely intolerant of hypocrisy. And, and when someone says, hopefully with an honest heart, when they say, I don't want any part of a Jesus where his followers are just a bunch of hypocrites, what a great place to point out and say, you know what? Jesus had an issue with hypocrisy just like you do. Couldn't stand it. He went eyeball to eyeball, knee to knee, toe to toe with the religious leaders of the day who ultimately crucified him because that's how intensely he was in opposition to this thing called hypocrisy. And, and by the way, let me just say, if, if someone tries to disprove Christianity because of the presence of hypocrisy in the lives of Christians, it doesn't dis disprove Christianity at all. It doesn't say anything about our Savior. In the eyes of some, it does, which is why it's so dangerous. But in reality, it doesn't say anything about the Savior. It has everything to say about some of his followers. <laughs> I mean, if I'm a hypocrite, it doesn't do anything to change the fact that in real time, a real God named Jesus walked this earth, lived sinlessly, a perfect life, died on a real genuine wooden cross for the sake of the sins of the whole entire world, and that three days later he rose again, leaving a tomb ultimately unoccupied, and that he lives forever today, and that he has stated and backed up the fact through his resurrection that he's the only way to a relationship with God. My hypocrisy doesn't change any of that fact. So hypocrisy doesn't disprove Christianity in the least. What it does is, one, it, 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 it hurts the heart of God, and two, it creates a barrier between those who need him, ultimately desiring him. Maybe that's why Jesus was so intensely intolerant of it. So the, so the question, is the church full of hypocrites? Are Christians hypocrites? Those were amazingly good burning questions. Is the church full of hypocrites, and aren't Christians hypocrites? Sadly, resoundingly, the answer to both is yes. If someone who hates God were to say to me, Christians are just a bunch of hypocrites, I would have to agree. While understanding that hypocrisy is not a Christian issue, it is a human issue. It's just that when you stake your name attached to one who lives sinlessly as the Savior of the world, you now took a bullseye. <laughs> no one accuses the atheist of hypocrisy. He has no stand in the truth. But we and I, Christian, stand on truth and follow a Savior who is sinless. We just took a bullseye. And sometimes the Sometimes the dart of hypocrisy loves to get tossed at that target. So the church does have hypocrites. Let's be honest, you and I would have to raise our hand as hypocrites. 
So what's that mean? How does that unpack? It's maybe the most important part of the message, and I hope you'll listen closely, and I'm just about done. Principle number three, we should expect to struggle with hypocrisy without celebrating it. We should expect to struggle with hypocrisy without celebrating it. Remember, I made the comment that to answer this question about hypocrisy, uh, well, we really have to look at salvation and sanctification. Salvation meaning coming to a relationship with God through faith and trust in Jesus. When you place your faith in Jesus, no matter how long ago that was, there was a transaction that took place. Remember 2 Corinthians 5.21, He, God the Father, made Him, Jesus, God the Son, who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that we might be the righteousness of God. There's a point where when you gave your life to Jesus, God gave you Jesus' righteousness, that you became righteous. You, at a point in time, Christian, follower of Christ, you were made righteous in your position before God. That's why you get to go into heaven. That's why I get to go into heaven. With a list of sins, God's going to say, forgiven because you trusted Jesus, his righteousness was credited to your account. That is really, really good news. But at the same time, there's a balance because not only when you trusted Jesus did you become righteous, but follow me here, there, you are also day by day becoming righteous in your practice. You were made righteous in your position before God when you trusted Christ. You are then walking out that salvation and becoming in your practice more and more righteous, hopefully consistently to where the trajectory is more and more godliness being displayed in your life. Well, let me just show you this in a few passages of Scripture. First passage is in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11, uh, reminding us that you became righteous when you trusted Jesus. Paul says, such were some of you, you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. You were once unrighteous, trusted Christ, and you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified, you were made righteous. But look at what Paul also says when he talks about how we are becoming righteous ultimately. Look at what, or rather, look at what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. Don't be like you used to be back before you knew Jesus, he says. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. You became righteous, but you're also becoming righteous in the way you live that out day by day. Paul says in Galatians 5 verse 25, he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And there is a place where the Holy Spirit is at work in you, Christian, and he's molding and shaping and conforming you, knocking off those things in your life that don't look like Christ, knocking off attitudes, knocking off behaviors. And as you partner with the Holy Spirit, you are becoming in your practice more and more and more increasingly righteous. And all along that continuum, right? There will be points where you and where I fall short and we'll miss the mark because we haven't arrived yet. Oh, we're getting to heaven because we've become righteous in our standing, but we're not always going to look like heaven because he's still making us righteous progressively in our actions day after day after day. And where the actions don't always line up with the position sometimes where you'll have that target most noticeable in your life and someone will say you know what you're a hypocrite 
We will always struggle against hypocrisy. Hear me closely. We can never be comfortable in it. We should never embrace it. We should never excuse it. And we certainly should never celebrate it. But we have to understand that when the church is full of hypocrites, don't pick up a stone too quickly because starting with the guy who speaks up here on Sundays all the way to the back row and every part of this property, let's all just take a number. But God's not finished with us yet. Two things to recognize and remember that we have to keep in mind when we talk about hypocrisy. One is that your Christian walk is somebody else's evidence. And we have got to keep this in mind. Whether you're a student off at college somewhere, and when you come home for the weekend, you know, you kind of put on your church mask, but then when you're off back to campus again, starting Thursday night through Sunday night, you kind of put on your other mask. Or if you're that businessman who comes to church on Sunday and you put on that mask, but then when you're making sales and doing business, ethics don't really apply, truth doesn't really apply, you've got a different mask to draw out of the briefcase for that. We have to understand that if you are a follower of Jesus and the term Christian or church or saint is applied to your life by God himself, that someone, I promise you, is watching. And they're evaluating the God that you serve based on the evidence of your life and your Christian walk will always be somebody else's evidence. And their belief system, or the belief system of Christianity is being weighed against what they see in you. It's not fair, and it's not even accurate, but it's just the way life rolls. Second thing we have to recognize is not just our Christian walk being someone else's evidence, but your Christian walk is also somebody else's permission. Somebody else's permission. Let's say, for example, I post on social media tomorrow, struggle with the sermon yesterday, Still living out, st still, still uh, living off a hard weekend out on the town. I mean, after all, it was in New Orleans, right? <laughs> Somebody's going to see that, and they're going to treat that as evidence. See, I told you Jesus doesn't change lives. That guy claims to be a follower, and he's out doing all the same junk that's ruining my life. Why would I want any part of God... If he can't even change your life. Or they may also say, hey, wow, he's a follower of Jesus. Notice I didn't say anything about being a pastor. He's a follower of Jesus, and if that's the way he lives his life on weekends and then puts on the church mask on a Sunday, hey, I guess it's okay for me to do that as well. And who knows how much untold heartache, heartbreak can come out of that. And my life was the evidence of it. Christian, you've got people watching the way you work, the way you parent, the way you handle yourself when no one's looking, at least when you think. They're watching every aspect of your life, and your life as a follower of Jesus is either someone else's permission or their evidence 
or both. Look at what Paul says, and I close with this passage. He understood this. Look at what he says to the believers in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again, Paul says to them, or do we need as some letters of commendation to you or from you? Paul says, I mean, is our ministry not, not valid unless we get a letter that says we're valid? No. Look what Paul says. He says to the Corinthians, he says, you are our letter. Let people look at your life, and they will see the evidence of the work of God. He says, you are our letter, written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. You, Christian, are a work in progress. There will be times when you are a hypocrite, and me as well. We can't embrace it. We can't enjoy it. We can't celebrate it. We cannot excuse it. It should break our hearts when it happens. But when it does, we confess to God, God, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you don't give up on me. Thank you that I'm still a work in progress. Thank you that my salvation doesn't depend on my behavior, that I am already rooted in Jesus and I'm saved for all time because of my relationship with Christ, that my position is one of a saint in your eyes. Lord, give me the strength to pick it up, to trust in you and to follow you and to live out that amazing truth. In a way that when people see me, I become a letter, not permission, not evidence against you, but a letter that wants them, that leads them to want more of you through what they see in me. And man, I'd be willing to say all over this place this morning, there is hypocrisy. It's not a really good way to attract visitors and guests to say, hey, I want to come to that church. They call you a hypocrite. <laughs> That's just the truth. It's starting here. But you know when God really becomes evident, you know when God really begins to sweep through is when we own that and when we reject it and shun it and say, God, I confess to you, i got a long way to go, but would you just meet me here and would you change my heart? Would you use me to put you on display? And if you've never trusted Jesus, he's not waiting for you to get better or good enough or cleaned up. Man, he'll take you just as you are right where you are. If you just say, Lord Jesus, I need you, and I turn from my sin, and I trust you to come and save me, take over, and he'll do it, I promise. Let's pray. Lord, what a tightrope it is. We're saved by grace. We walk in grace. We're not saved by our works, but Lord, our works are so important. And honestly, there are times, Lord, when we put on one mask that looks like you and then replace it with one that doesn't. And Lord, there are people that are armed with the ammunition of the church is full of hypocrites and Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. And Lord, the only thing we can do is just agree, honestly. We can, all we can do is agree because we're just not like you yet. Lord, it doesn't disprove the Christian faith. Christianity is as true as it's ever been. And Lord, it's not fair that people base their judgment of you based on what they see in us. That is sobering. That is frightening. So God, help us to, help us to feel the weight of that. The way we live makes a difference. That our kids are watching, grandkids, friends, coworkers, strangers who know we identify with you. They're watching us. And the way we live is either permission for them 
to live in a way that's distant from you or sadly sometimes it's evidence that they say see Jesus doesn't change anything God thank you today for your grace thank you for the cross thank you for the empty grave but God may we live in a way that puts you on display in every area because for many their eternity still hangs in the balance and they desperately need a savior and they may not see you till they see you in us. So help us to make the right decisions today. God, to own our hypocrisy, to shun it, not embrace it, to decry it, not to celebrate it. And God, we thank you for what you'll do. In Jesus' name, amen.